So I, I want to ask, um, what's the what's the weirdest? I'm going to give you a minute, okay, to talk talk with your neighbor, okay, about this. But what is the weirdest or funniest piece of advice that someone gave you before you left for college? What's the weirdest or funniest advice someone gave you before you left for college? Ready? Go. Yes. <laughs> Watch. Watch out for Anthony. Did somebody tell you to watch out for Anthony? All right. I want to hear some. Okay, I want to hear. I want to hear some of these. What? What you? What you get? Not going to share. They're all saying no. Okay, then I'll. I'll trust your judgment. What we got? What's the weirdest advice? Funniest advice? Come on, somebody. Wear shower shoes in the dorms. That's good advice. It's practical. If you ha- okay, if you have friends over, check under what? Check under your fridge for sardine cans. Uh, let them let them rot. Oh, okay. We used to take a milk carton and put it in the vent. Yeah, as well. What's that smell? Um, any other advice? The sardines can is gonna win. Chloe, you got something? What is it? That's what we want. <laughs> that would count. That, that would count. <laughs> We can talk later. Um, so, this the, the, the text that we're uh, looking at today is kind of like, it, it seems, I don't know, anytime I come across these in, in Scripture, these lists of just commands, like a, just a barrage of commands, it feels a little bit like, oh, and by the way, you know, don't leave your wallet in the car and always carry your purse close to you. And, you know, like when you're leaving for college and they give, they give you these these commands and these things they want, they want you to do. And, and it's like Paul's getting to the end of this letter and he just gives all these things. Is, is, is Paul just like trying to condense the letter? Is he tired of writing? Like what's going on here? And, and so I always have this strange kind of fascination with these lists because, you know, we, we like to talk about Christianity as, as not, it's not a religion, it's a what? Relationship. 
Yeah, it's a relationship, right? And so we don't we don't like this idea of a bunch of list of to, of do's and don'ts. Um, and so I kind of have a little bit of a, a love hate relationship with with lists because because it, it, on you know in one one case. Um, Christianity is, a, is really about what Christ has done. It's not a really about the things that I do and don't do. It's, it's not about, um, you know, this religious system. The cross has kind of ended that religious system. And so now we have this, now we have access to the Father. We can, we can know Him and, and love Him. And, and there seems to be this relationship that's established. And yet, there are lists. God seems to be okay with lists, right? There's Ten Commandments. There's 613 laws in the Old Testament total, right? And and we, we say, okay, well, that's the Old Testament. We, we don't follow that anymore. We don't live by that anymore. Well, there's actually over 800 commands in the New Testament. It's a lot smaller. And so you put those together, that's over 1,400, like, commands or, or to-dos or to-don'ts um, in the Bible. And so what do we do with that? Like, God seems to be okay with lists, so, so why... Why is he always giving us rules? Um, and, and so I don't know. I don't know if you do, but I I, I come across these lists and I, I think of this. Um, so you can't get a, you can't get around this fact that, that that there are lists, and yet at the same time that salvation or being right in right relationship with God is about what Christ has done, and not about what we do. It's about our faith and what He has done um, for us. And so when we when we focus on Christianity as, as just things that I do and don't do, then at some point we, we disconnect from from God. We we, we lose sight of, of the bigger picture. So um, the the idea that you can this is the other thing that lists kind of help us see that God seems to be okay with it is the idea that that you can kind of just accept Jesus intellectually and then live however you want is like a preposterous idea in the New Testament. And, and some actually kind of think there's, there's two kinds of Christians. There's the Christian that, that prayed the prayer, they're a Christian, and there's the Christian that actually follows Jesus and obeys Jesus. And the Bible actually doesn't talk about it in, that, in those terms. There's, there's, no, there's no two types of Christian. There's a follower of Jesus, that's it. That's what a Christian is, is a follower of Jesus. And, and it seems to be, anytime a follower of Jesus puts, places their faith and trust in Him, it's a, it's a whole life of action. It's a, it's a full repentance of the old way and a turning to Christ and, and wanting to walk in His ways. And, uh, and, and there's obedience that follows. And so, there, there isn't this, this idea that, that I can just live however I want. So, there's these lists. And lists really aren't the problem. We are the problem. Surprise, surprise. When we, when we make, make these lists out to be some, a part of some sort of religious system. And I've heard this state, statement recently, and I think it's helpful, especially in the context of parenting, which is where I heard it. But I think it works here too. And maybe some of you have experienced it or have friends that have experienced it, grew up in church, you get to college, they have this freedom, and they just kind of go crazy. Because... And here's the phrase, rules without relationship equals rebellion. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. And so, you know, if you grew up in church or had friends that grew up in church and all they thought about Christianity was just a list of do's and don'ts, 
then, and there's no relationship with the Father, then what's that equal when they get into college, when they get freedom, when they kind of start to make decisions by themselves? There's nothing grounding them to want to make, to do those things or not do those things. It's like, oh, sweet, well, I can do whatever I want because I don't understand why I would not do that. That sounds like a lot of fun. So being in, in right relationship um, with God helps me have, a, have an understanding of who He is and what He's called for me, and, and therefore I want to do these things. Um, my hope is that with, with a kind of a new perspective on lists, that we can, now whenever we encounter lists, we can go, okay, I want to know what this is. I want to know what's, what's being asked to me. Because um, I want you to think about putting yourself in the shoes of these First Thessalonian Christians. So Paul shows up in the scene, preaches the gospel. He's there three weeks. A church is birthed. Then he leaves, and, and a few people kind of stick around and help the church grow. And, and then all of a sudden, it's just growing like crazy. And, and they, they know how to repeat what was said to them, and they know how to preach and uh, explain the gospel, witness to, to Jesus, and other people are believing, and, and then all of a sudden, Paul even says, like, their faith is being known throughout the region. And so they, they, they know how to see the gospel work, but then at the same time, there's, there's things that they're encountering in their life that they're going, okay, how, what do we do about that? How do we, how do we live with that? Like, what what do we do? And, and then all of a sudden, this letter shows up from Paul. And it's like, Paul's got some instructions for us. Yes, finally. Because here's these people trying to, trying to figure out how to live as a, as a follower of Jesus in this culture, and they have no one to show them how to do it. And so they're hungry to know what it means to follow Jesus. And here's this, this letter that gives guidance and direction. And I, I know what this is like because when I first got married... My wife, um, she was kind of under the impression, she really didn't know, but she, she was kind of under this impression that I was supposed to just know how to show love to her. So I would ask her, how, 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 like, how do you want me to show love to you? I don't, you've got to figure that out. If I tell you, it doesn't mean the same. You know, that kind of garbage. Um, and so I'm like, okay, well. But any hints? Nope, you just got to figure it out, you know. Honestly, I don't think she knew. Um, and so we have discovered how each of us, right, how, e- how each of us needs to be shown love. And this is before the five love languages, so we didn't have that. That would have been awesome. Um, and even after that came out, this is my wife's. The first, probably the next three years after that came out, this is my wife's response. Yeah, I don't think I'm either, either of those. I'm like, oh, great. That doesn't help at all. She doesn't have no love language. And I'm just supposed to figure this out. And... And so, you know, when, when you want to love somebody and they're not helping you and they're just kind of keeping it a secret or maybe they don't know themselves and you just get left to just kind of figure it out, trial and error, oh, so flowers, I'll bring you flowers. You're like, no, nah, I don't like flowers. Waste of, that's a waste of money. They just die. Okay, I thought girls like flowers. Okay, chocolate. Well, chocolate's good, but still it's too expensive. Don't worry about it. Okay, fancy restaurant. Nope, don't like to eat out. Movies, hate movies. How about we go to a coffee shop, sit down, and I'll ask you questions, and we'll, we'll share and communicate. Nope, my wife hates that. <laughs> yep, that would have been nice, because I actually enjoy that. Um, I'm the female in the relationship when it comes to that kind of stuff. But no, she doesn't like any of that. So, like, it's, it's, 
and then we realize, okay, it's quality time, and it's not just a, it's, it's a certain kind of quality time, not all quality time. So I've had, you know, 18 years, I'm starting to figure some things out, and, but it's like, it would have been helpful early on, and she didn't, but she didn't know, so it's not really her fault. But that's what this is, that's what this is like. When you, when you want to love somebody, and then they, 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 they tell you how, um, and that's what I think, in some ways, that's what's happening when we see these lists. All right, so we're going to jump in to the list, and I forgot to draw this up here, um, and I don't want to take the time to do it. But basically, in this list, um, what I was going to draw was I want you to see how, well, I want you to see how in, in chapter 4, 11 through 5, no, chapter 4, 11, 13, 4, 13 through 5, 11 is this, the coming of the Lord, right? So we spent the last, last week talking about that. The coming of the King. He's coming. Yeah, he is. Um, and so... That's, that's the background to, to this list that we're about to read. And then verse, verse 11 says, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up. So that's the context. That's what Paul's kind of leaning towards as he jumps into this list. And then right after this list is this kind of final prayer and then closing remarks and, and then you have the end of the book. But right in the middle are these, um, the churches, I'll say, Did I do that right? No, that would be this. The, yeah. Church's responsibilities um, toward um, four things. So, you first one you have toward leaders. If this makes sense. Okay. The church's responsibility towards leaders. So someone read verses 12 and 13. what translation you're reading you could be reading the same one but you have you have this this idea of respect and esteem shepherds or or your leaders um, so when he says when he says uh, those who labor among you who are over you who admonish you he's not describing three different people who who do three different things he's describing one group who does those three things and and so some don't know if if these are leaders that were chosen and kind of ordained, or if these are leaders that have just kind of risen as, as lead servants in, in, the, in the church. Uh, we don't exactly know, but, but for whatever reason, they know who they are. And, and uh, what he's saying is, respect them and esteem them and honor them. And he says, be at peace with one another. Um, this, is a, this is a popular command of Paul. He says it eight other times in his letters, to live at peace to be at peace, to, to, um, to live in peace, all these commands. And, and I think, I mean, obviously, with, with all that's been going on, even this week, but in the last few months, um, but how, how important is it for the church to, to live at peace? And, and one of the best ways to encourage um, 
a leader is to is to be at peace with one another. I mean, when and I, I know my first year of ministry here at at um, in college, college ministry, first year or two, um, we had we had kind of differing ideas about the way things should go amongst the students, and we had kind of a core group, and then there was people felt like on the outside, and there was all this. It just wasn't, and it it made honestly my job and Drew's job more frustrating. But in the last few years, there's been such unity amongst the leaders, amongst here. I have no idea who that is. Tyler, Taylor, Taylor, you want to go out and or Jake, just go out and see. Don't whoever it is, don't let him in. Just talk to him outside. It's probably my friend Jeff. He's. Oh, okay. Anyway, all right. It's not Jeff. It's a woman. Um, so they will take care of that. Uh, so you have you have um, you know this command to to be at peace. And uh, anyway, like I said, I know what that's like. It, it is very encouraging to have peace among. The next one is responsibility toward individuals. Which one? Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, the next one is responsibility towards individuals. Anthony, read that. 14 through 15. Now we exhort you, brethren, one those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Okay. Yeah, through 14, or through 15, sorry. So you have, you know, you have this command to, um, to honor, to respect, to esteem the leaders, and then you have this command to, to each other. And notice what Paul's doing here. He's not just giving them a list of things to do. He's actually, he's actually training them and, and teaching them how to care for each other, how to encourage each other. He wants them to develop an awareness of those who have needs, who, those who need to be admonished, those who need to be encouraged, those who need to be helped. He wants them to start recognizing and noticing the different needs of, of those in the church and to be able to just step up and take care of those needs. He's wanting them to grow in patience with one another. He's wanting them to practice what Jesus taught about turning the other cheek and not repaying evil with evil, right? Um, he's expecting them to take responsibility for each other. Okay, and then you have this, this next list is responsibilities toward God. Somebody read, Caleb, read 16 through 18. Okay, so he, he says, rejoice always, right? Pray continually. Give thanks. So in, in 1 Thessalonians, so far, Paul has constantly reminded them of all that God has done for them and through the, and in them and, and through them. Uh, he's, he's sent Paul, first of all, he sent Paul to share the gospel of Jesus with them. 
Um, he's in verses, uh, sorry, chapter 1, verse 4, he says, says that they are loved and chosen by God. In 1.5, it says the Holy Spirit brought conviction. In 1.9, and it led to turning from idols and serving the living God. In 1.6, it said that God had provided examples in Jesus and Paul on how to live. God was providing examples for them. In 1.8, it says that ministry went out and was, it was ministering to other, others because of God, because of what God was doing in and through them. In chapter 4, it talks about that Paul actually gives them practical ways um, to live a life that's pleasing to God. And then in 4, 13 through 5, 11, I, like I said, he's reminding them, listen, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to, he's going to right the wrongs. All that, all that crap that you're dealing with in culture, all the persecution you're experiencing, Jesus is coming and he's going to reward you. He's going to um, right all the wrongs. He's going to expose the darkness. He's going to, right? So they have a lot to be thankful for. And so Paul's just, he's just reminding them, he's just encouraging them to, to do the things that um, come naturally and normally when you recognize all that God has done for you. Um, he is helping them see what God deserves from them based on what he's done. So I guess I'll throw that question back out for you that you can think about later. What, what, what does God deserve from you? What, what kind of, what, what, what kind of um, response does God deserve from you based on what He's done in, uh, for you and in your, in your life? The last one is responsibilities to the Spirit. The others are a little more straightforward than, uh, than this last one. This last one takes, it takes a little more explanation. Uh, someone else read... You got it? Okay, read 19 through 22. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Okay. Um, The the structure of this this sentence uh, is basically, it basically has this this first command, which ESV says, um, do not quench the Spirit. So that, that, in the way this is worded, that's more of a heading for what's about to take place for these next few, okay? So what he's saying is, do not quench the Spirit in this way, um, by not despising prophecies, but instead testing everything and holding fast to what is good and, and abstaining or avoiding what is evil. So this structure, like I said, it, it, this, is, this is the how to not quench the Spirit, basically. And Paul... He gives this explanation. He basically points out the two extremes that, uh, that churches or the individuals often have whenever they're trying to interpret manifestations of the Spirit. This was a big deal in the church. This was something that they, they needed discernment on. Was okay. How, how, do we, how do we figure out what's going on? Uh, if you've read 1 Corinthians 12, and 12 through, chapters 12 through 14, talks about gifts of the Spirit. And Paul gives guidance and direction there. This is another one in which he's giving he's given kind of instruction on how how to discern this stuff. And so he, he kind of speaks against the two extremes. One extreme is you just outright outright reject anything that's weird or spiritual. Okay? Like prophecies. So when he's so when they talk about prophecies, they're not talking about 
mm, I have a prediction of who's going to win the Super Bowl. It's, that's, that's not the kind of pro- prophecy was more prophetic type um, speaking um, sharp truth into the life of the church and the culture. And, and so some people just outright rejected it and others just blindly accept it. So he kind of says, don't, don't just reject it, be open to it. And don't just blindly accept it, test it. That's, that's kind of his, his conclusion. That helps keep the tension of this, that, that the, the Spirit is at work. And, and he's wanting them to know, listen, you can trust that the Spirit is at work. And you can trust that the leaders that God has put in place are going to lead you. And, but... You don't. You also have a relationship with the Lord too. You can discern these things, and you know the gospel, and you know the scriptures. You're knowing the growing to know the scriptures, and so you can you can test these things. So that's what Paul's describing. He says, and once you've tested it, hold to what is good. Hold to what is good and reject or abstain or avoid, as some translations, what is evil. So he said that that's it's simple. Don't. Don't just despise it. Be open to it. Don't just, uh, don't just blindly accept it. Test it. And whatever you find to be good, whatever you find to be true to the gospel and true to scriptures, hold on to that. And whatever you don't, avoid it. So, that's the list that Paul gives. Um, I, think, I think those things can be really helpful. But here's, here's something that I, I think is helpful for us. as we, When we get lists like this, when we get commands in the Bible is to remember that every, every command that's given in the Bible is, is directly connected to um, the character of God. Right? So you, 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 have, you have these lists of to abstain from sexual morality, like he says in chapter 4. And his, his command is given because God is the creator God. Created us and knows us. Knows what's best for us. Has a plan for us and says... Listen, this is how I've designed it. Trust me. Right? Trust me and, and, and follow me. And so he says, abstain for this because, because of who I am. Because, of, because you can trust me. And so when he has, when, he, when, uh, when, he tells, when Jesus tells us to, to serve one another, or to, he tells them to encourage one another, um, he's saying, Jesus lived sacrificially. And so because of his character, you can, you can do the same. Right? So every command, every, every imperative command is linked to a, a statement, an indicative statement, a, the, the character of God, and we need to not forget that. The last thing is this final prayer that is in uh, verses what, 23 and 24. So let me read that. One of you guys, whoever's fastest. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and will also do it. Very good. That's it. That's good. Um, You can tell a lot about a person, um, and you can tell a lot about their understanding of God by how they pray. that's That's just reality. It's not really the goal to evaluate everybody's prayers, but... For those that you care about and those that maybe you are in, in relationship with, you can, you can listen. And, and when you listen to Paul's prayers, in fact, I would challenge you um, to go back through different epistles that he's written and, and just read his prayers because you learn a lot about 
what he cares for, and what he prays about. Um, but in this prayer, we find out several things. We find out um, that God is a God of peace. There's that connection. He's asking them to live at peace with one another because God is a God of peace. Uh, when God acts, um, we, we understand what peace is. So God doesn't, God doesn't try to be peaceful or do peaceful things. God acts and we know what peace is. God acts and we know what love is. We know what grace is. God defines these things. He's saying, God is the God of peace. And He says, God is the one who will sanctify you. And this idea of being sanctified is this, this process of being made holy. And being set apart for God. Set apart for Him. Being transformed into Christ-likeness. And, it, and, it, and we learn that it says that this is a process that's happening. It's going to be completed when Jesus returns and he says, God is the one that's doing it. He's faithful. He's faithful to himself. He's faithful to the promises he's made. And he will complete it. He will finish it out. And you can write down Philippians 1.6 as a, as a reference to, to the same idea. That he who began a good work in you will finish it. Um, he will complete it. And then he gives closing remarks. Uh, he, he, he tells them to greet one another with a holy kiss. This became somewhat of a cultural way to, for the family to kind of greet one another. Um, don't see that happening here anytime soon. Uh, but, and then he says, I love verse 27, he says, I put, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. So you definitely want it to be read. Paul, Paul was not afraid to kind of basically mandate in a very suggestive way what he wanted them, them to do. I trust that you will do this, right? You're going to do this. I, I mandate it. I, I order you to. I don't want to order you to, but I trust that you'll do the right thing. You know, that's, that's Paul's way of manipulating them to, get, to do the right things. Um, and then he says, the grace, uh, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. And that was a common way for him to end. So that is the book of First Thessalonians. And so we're going to take a break. And then uh, Rachel's going to get up and, and talk through the second part. Ready? Go! Okay. I, no, I, I don't, don't want to mess this up. I meant to ask you a question. Ask you to ask, I meant to ask you what question you wanted me to ask them. Okay. Anyway. <clears throat> um, I, it's still recording now. Yeah, it's still recording. I have not been cutting that out. Oh, you have? No. That's fine. They can fast forward. Now I know that yeah. you all have been doing that. Yeah. We try to. Because I guess it's harder to splice, right? Yeah. I mean... So it's like, I'll be yelling. So, and then it's Tuesday, they said, oh wait, are we supposed to give this to you yet? I'm like, Scott, we're not posting these, we're just getting them to you guys. Yeah. That's just funny that I didn't know and I've been leaving, and I haven't been taking that out.
Hey, I did see Jeff, by the way, this week walking. Or no, he was on a skateboard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. I guess, yeah. The first thing I want to let you guys know is we just kind of have one more really quick announcement, and that is um, if you go to Sunnybrook and you want to be part of the Adopt-A-Home program, we have sign-up sheets right back here. You can fill those out and turn those in, but basically that's a program we have where you get partnered with um, a family. It's like a home away from home, so you'll get together once a month or whatever for a meal. Um, just hanging out, and it's a great way to kind of be connected to older believers. So if you have questions about that, you can, you can see me after. Um, we are going to be talking tonight about this list and um, what we can pull away from it in terms of our responsibility to the church. Um, and so we are going to be talking a little bit about the commitment to community, which you guys know, that's one of our, our five things right back here. Um, on the wall. And I want to just kind of start this by saying a lot of what we're going to talk about tonight can apply to, to us here, like at the table. Um, but I also just, I hope it, it goes without saying, but I, I still think we need to say it. I, I adore the table. Like, I cannot tell you how much, like, this ministry is my heartbeat, and I love it. I'm so thankful that you're here. I, I'm so thankful for you guys. But I also hope that without fail, Sunday morning, you are showing up at a local body and, and at a church because as amazing as the table is, and again, like, I love this place and I love you guys and it's awesome that we're here, but this doesn't replace the church. Um, and so a lot of what we're going to talk about is going to apply to us and it's going to apply here. Um, and so much of it is also going to be applying to, um, to your local church and that, that's just so, it's incredibly important. So um, when we kind of pull back from this list, there are, as Scott was saying, like there's there's a lot of um, of commands here, and I just I want to start this by being real and being honest with you guys, and I'll tell you, um, raise your hand if if like a commitment to community, raise your hand if that comes really naturally for you, like you love to be in community, it's just it's easy, it's that is so stinking awesome, and and you're in college and it's easier now than it will probably ever be. I hope it continues for you. I struggle with being in community. I just do. So does Anthony. Um, but I'll tell you, okay, so, so here's kind of how we get ready to teach. Like we break down the text 
and Scott and Drew are super gracious to me and they say, hey, you look at it and you tell us like which text do you want to teach. And so I picked tonight and there's a reason and it's because like I struggle with community. Um, in fact, one of, um, one of the things we do as a staff in January is we sit down and we think through the ways that we feel God calling us to grow spiritually. And you know what one of mine was? My husband looked at it and he just laughed so hard. It said to learn to love community more. And he was like, yeah, like that's definitely, like that's you. So it doesn't, it doesn't come as naturally to me. And it doesn't mean that I don't love the church, but it does mean I have to be more intentional. And so I picked tonight. But in saying that, I want you guys to understand, like before we jump into this list, that a lot of this stuff is hard for me. And it's going to be hard for you. Um, and that's okay. And, and we'll talk more about that. But the first thing in kind of, I, I want to, it's, it's such a, like a short section. We just have 14 verses here. Um, I'm, I'm going to kind of read, read it again. So um, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So that's kind of like this first group that Paul's talking about um, and that Scott kind of broke down for us. So leaders. So another, like another way of saying this, which is a word that we really, really hate but he's saying submit to leaders and to elders. And so I hope that we have an understanding of when we, um, when we pick a church, when we pick a local body, that we're, we are committing to them to submit to that leadership. And I want to just read to you Hebrews thirteen seventeen. It says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. They are keeping watch over your souls. What a responsibility. Um, as those who will have to give an account, so they're going to be judged for that. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So here's the thing. We can trust and understand that God has put these leaders in a position of um, leadership, which is also a way of saying like service, to keep watch over our souls. And so we can trust and we can submit to them. That does not mean that we have to agree about everything. That's not what I'm saying. But it does mean that when I'm committing to a church, I'm part of a church, I'm, I'm submitting to that eldership and I'm trusting that what God is um, doing in that leadership um, is, is right, that he's put them in that position. I'm obviously, I am not talking about you know, blatant sin when sinful things are happening. I'm not saying to submit to that. Um, and this really like submission, I, we could spend a whole night on it. So I just, I want to say like, if that's something that you struggle with and you want to have a conversation about, come talk to me. I would love to talk more about that with you. Um, but one of the, one of the best just examples, I guess, and, and sad but encouraging thing that I saw happen this summer, there was a church who, uh, like a really big famous church, who removed their pastor um, because of some ongoing unrepentant sin in his life. And um, I, I was just kind of watching this play out, and he made a statement. And basically in the statement, he said, um, like, yes, this is true. This has been, you know, ongoing unrepentant sin in my life, and I trust the decision of the elders to be from God. And so although that was, like, heartbreaking to watch, um, you know, I, I was so encouraged by his response and his humbleness and the journey to repenting and doing what he needed to do to be made well. But that should be our heart. That should be our response. Um, so let's keep going. Um, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So that is a ton of service. Um, I, 
I want you to know, and again, like this is another one of our, our five things, but a contributor mentality. I want you to know that we are called to serve the church, and it can be so hard in this um, in the society that we live in to have this consumer mindset where I'm looking for a church that is going to give me a great worship experience, and the teaching is just really going to speak to me, and I'm going to go in, and I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to say hi to all my friends, and I'm just going to soak all this in, but I'm never going to serve. The problem with that is that we just we take in more information, more experience, and we get fatter and fatter and fatter and fatter without ever stopping um, to serve and to exercise our muscles. And so just know, um, whether it's big, whether it's small, we're called to serve. I think that sometimes we, we feel inadequate, and, and maybe you think, you know, like, I haven't even been a Christian that long, and so, you know, what can I really do? And I, guys, I don't care if it's like going up after the service is over and picking up the bulletins or like getting communion ready to be served, there's always something that you can do to serve. And I hope that you are serving regularly um, in your church body. Um, and I will just say like Sunnybrook, and I'm sure a lot of other churches around here, we offer a, a test, it's called PLACE. And it basically, you answer a bunch of questions. It's kind of creepy how accurate it is. But it'll tell you, you know, this is you. This is what you're passionate about. Um, and it, if you don't know, you know, how to serve or where to start, um, we'll be offering that this fall, and I'm sure we'll make an announcement about that. But it's a great place to kind of figure out, okay, where where can I get plugged in? But start somewhere um, and, and be sure that you're, you're serving, whatever that looks like, if it's in the nursery or, um, you know, whatever it is, greeting people. Um, we're called to serve and to be serving. Let's keep going. Um, pick it up in 15. He says, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Um, accountability. That's what I see there. Like how, how are, how are you making, see to it that no one, how's that happening? Um, that's, that's talking about a whole lot of accountability. Um, and it's both for, for ourselves and for the people that we are committed to. So in your table groups, in your small groups, um, there's a really alarming trend that I see happening, I don't know, maybe even over the last eight years even. It's been going on for a while, but it it looks like this. It looks like I show up to small group or wherever it is, and I I talk about all the sin that I struggle with and how bad I am. You know, I have this like major, you know, I looked at porn again and I'm such a gossip and well, we all know that I have a drinking problem, whatever it is, whatever the sin is, um, we, we show up and we talk about it and we're super, super honest. And we think that because we're doing that, that we're doing what we're supposed to. But the problem with that is if there's never any change, that's not actually repentance at all. It's just confession. And God has called us to so much more than that. Um, and so I, I, I do, I hope that we love each other enough to be real with one another. And when you see that happening, to lovingly talk with that person and say like, hey, you know, like I see, you know, this seems to be a really constant, like ongoing struggle for you. And I just want to know how I can pray for you, how I can come alongside of you and love and encourage you, you know, for holiness in this area, because that's what we're called to. Um, the problem with that, when we start doing this piece is suddenly everybody backs up a little bit. Maybe I don't actually want to share because then I'm going to be held accountable and, and that's 
going to call me to change, and that's difficult. And so when you have a really solid, like, accountability is going on, it can be, it can be really, really hard to then be open. And so I just I want to encourage you in that, that, that be open, be real, be honest about your struggles, um, and then holding each other accountable. And notice I didn't say perfect, you know, but it is this cycle of um, ongoing repentance um, where we are working towards holiness and the Holy Spirit is empowering us um, to be able to do that. The other thing I just I want to touch on really quickly with accountability is um, kind of what, what we do when we've been hurt by the church. Because if you're in this room and you've been a Christian for very long, chances are you've been hurt by somebody in the church. Um, and I think that um, a lot of the issues that come up in kind of being um, a hindrance to our commitment to community and our commitment to one another is unresolved hurts. And typically we have this flight or fight response, right? Those are generally like those are the personalities. You have my personality, which is like, oh, I'm just going to avoid you at all cost. And then you have my husband who is a little bit more like, <laughs> let me tell you why you're wrong. And he would be totally fine with me saying that. Otherwise, I wouldn't say it. But um, so both, but both of those things are wrong. Both of those things need a heart check because for me, the issue is I'm not loving you enough to go to you and, and talk to you about what happened. Um, and, and we don't have time tonight, but you, if you want more on this, you can look at Matthew 18 where Jesus says, like, if your brother sins against you, you know, you go to him. Um, and, so, and so for me, it might even be maybe I'm tempted to, like, go talk to, like, this half of the room about what you did and how wrong it was, but I'm not going to actually say anything to you. In fact, I might even just stop coming to small group. And I might even stop going to that church, but I'm not going to actually have a conversation with you. That's not loving. Um, it's wrong. It's also cowardly, and I can say that because I have a tendency to want to do that. Um, and then on the other side of it, if you're somebody who, when you're wrong, you just, you're ready to tell the person how and why so quickly, like that also needs a heart check. And so my prayer would be that when we're, when we're wronged, um, obviously we think about ourselves first and, and how we were hurt. And that's not, like, that's not even bad. We have feelings. We don't just have to sweep those under the rug. Um, but I hope that the next response that we have, you guys, is one of first going to God and saying, like, God, is there anywhere in this situation where I'm being wrong, where I need to confess, where I need to repent? Is there pride? Um, you know, like honestly, am I being oversensitive? Like, is this even sin? Did she hurt my feelings and really I'm just being sensitive? Because um, sometimes that's a possibility. Whatever it is, though, going to God first, making sure that in the situation um, that I know that I'm right before the Lord, whatever that needs to look like. And then the next question we need to ask is, what's best for that other believer and for the body of Christ? And so many times that does look like a loving conversation about what happened not just turning and running the other way and not just snapping at somebody, um, but, but keeping the church and the body in mind in, in the way that we need to handle that because we are called to so much more. Um, let's keep going and we'll kind of finish out um, this section. He says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this of the will, is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Um, pray for each other. You guys, we, we are called to pray for each other. And you're called to pray for the leaders. I hope you're praying for me. Um, we're called to pray for one another. And I, 
there's something I'm going to ask you to do that a lot of you are going to just kind of feel probably a little sick because it's, it's just awkward. But so many times we'll be having a conversation with a fellow believer and they'll tell you what's going on and they'll say, please pray for me. And we say, okay, I will, you know, and, and maybe you're really good and you add that to your prayer journal and you actually pray for him. That's cool. Maybe you're like a lot of us and you forget. I want to challenge you to wherever you're at, I don't care if it's Aspen or campus, whatever, to just say, yeah, like I would love to pray about that for you. Can we pray right now? And I know that that is for so many of us, like that's awkward and it feels weird and maybe we're not comfortable praying out loud um, and that's okay. And I think like we still need to do it. And you know, the only way to get over feeling like that is by doing it. Um, and so I want, I just, I want to challenge you to do that. And especially like do that before the semester ends. When somebody tells you, I'm struggling with this, I need you to pray for me. Say, okay, yeah, like, like let's pray. Do it right then and there. Um, one thing I just, I kind of want to add to this list that Paul doesn't put in here, but I just, I'm sorry, I just, I couldn't not, I had to put it in here is, guys, I hope you're giving sacrificially to the church, you know? And I know a lot of you are thinking like, I'm like an ultra poor college student. And that's totally cool. Like, I don't care if it's $5 or $5,000, whatever is sacrificial living for you, um, like, we're called to that. We're called to be doing that. And I think that, I think it can be really easy to think, well, I'm in college, you know, and so that's, that's not something that I have to play a part in. Um, and when I actually have a job and, you know, later in life, I'll start doing that. But it's not going to get easier. It's not going to get easier to live sacrificially, you know, if it's, if it's $5 now or, you know, $500 when you have a better paying job. So I want to challenge you to do that. And I know that it's hard. I'll, I just, I'll even confess, there was probably a month ago, maybe about a month ago, another giving opportunity came up. And you know what my first response was, shamefully so? Oh, not another thing to give to. Somebody else wants money. So quickly, I I just felt this like weight come over me of, do you realize what you just said? Like here you have a chance to spend money on something that matters, the kingdom and make an eternal impact. And you would rather buy what a shirt, a coffee. And you're annoyed by that. I mean, I, I had to repent and you know, it's, it's, it's ongoing. I mean, there other things will pop up and I, I hope that my response is most of the time, um, you know, to be excited about, I have this, like, that's a gift that I get to give to the kingdom. But when it doesn't, I need to recognize that and be quick to repent. And I, again, like I realize all of these things are ridiculously hard. They just are. When we really look at what's being demanded of us, we're called to lay down our life for the church. We're called to view others as more than ourselves. Nothing about that is easy. Nothing about that is easy. These are all hard things that we're, ca- we're called to. And I want you guys to understand that hard things are a gift. Do you know that? Like, do you get that that is God's way of sanctifying us? That is his way of transforming us into the image of Christ. Um, I, I heard one time, just back to the giving example, or even the serving example, but I heard somebody say, you know, um, if you want to know where you're committed, you need to look at how you spend your money and how you spend your time. And God has all the money in the world. He does not need our money. Like, I hope you know that. 
does not need your money. That's his way of raising children. That's his way of sanctifying us. That's his way of teaching us to die to self, to live to Christ. That's what that is. And, and that, that's a gift. Um, Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Like, that's the love that we're called to. We're called to lay down our rights um, and to love the church this way. And I, I want to just kind of address the question, like, what, what am I supposed to do when I don't feel those things? What am I supposed to do when I don't feel that way? And all I can tell you guys is we have to have a better understanding of the gospel. It all goes back to Jesus. Because when we understand what God has forgiven us, He's forgiven us for what Jesus has saved us from and what he's actually done for us. It makes loving the church a whole lot easier. Um, And we start to realize that the church is a gift. And so that's kind of how I want to wrap up tonight is just spending a few minutes talking about how beautiful the church is um, and just reminding us, be careful how you talk about her. Like, Be careful about that. Be careful about um, the way that you love her and the way that you are committed to her. Understand um, who she really is. And so the first thing is we have to understand that the church is the bride of Christ. Um, Revelation 21, 1 and 2 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That blows my mind, and I think that that is incredible. And in, I don't know how long it's been, but in the last few decades, there's been kind of this swing towards a big emphasis on a personal relationship with Jesus. And like, that's true, and that's important. Um, we need to recognize that. But I think maybe some of us have swung a little farther than we should have, and we need to come back this way and understand, like, the bride is not Rachel Vincent. The bride is not Anthony Butler. Like, look around. Like, this is the bride. The church is the bride. He didn't just save me. He's saving us. Like, we are being sanctified. That is a beautiful, incredible thing. And the other thing that's such a gift is that the church is a safe haven from a world who doesn't live the way that we live. We should be living lives that, that... unbelievers don't understand you guys like if you're out there week after week and and you never encounter somebody who thinks you're weird because of the way that you're living for Jesus you're probably not really living the way that he's called us to live that should be happening and so when we come into um, community and when we come into a place where the body is there it should be like okay Like, I can breathe. There's people here. Like, we're in the pursuit of this together. We're in pursuit of the kingdom. We're in pursuit of Jesus. And um, I used to work in my former life in the corporate world. And I would get so, like, it was just hard. Can I just be honest? Like, I was on mission, and I knew it, and it was hard. And I was surrounded by a lot of people who super did not love Jesus. Um, And a coworker of mine and friend of mine came to know the Lord. It was amazing, not just because she came to know the Lord, but because suddenly, like, I had somebody there who was like, yes, like, we're in this together, and, you know, we, we were able to share in those things, and, and, and just 
get each other and why we're living so differently. And that's what the church is, and, and that's what she is for us. That's what she should be. When you come into your table groups, that's what it should be. You know, I've been out there all week, and I'm fighting, and I'm living for Jesus, and I come here, and it's just this safe haven. Um, that's what it should be. The other thing is that the church is to bear witness um, to Christ to a lost world through the way that we love each other. John thirteen thirty five um, is a reference for that if you want to jot that down. But like when we understand what that's saying, Jesus said that they will know you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. Um, I mean, that means that the world should look at us and see the love that we have for one another and think that it's weird. Like that is weird. Your devotion to each other, that's weird. The way you love each other, that's not normal. Proverbs says that there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Like that should be believers, you guys. We should be that committed. We should love one another that much that, that we're a witness. Um, the other thing is that the church is a family. Okay, so this is a really short section of scripture, right? It's 14 verses. Paul uses the phrase brothers four different times. Over and I mean, that's just in these verses. That's not in the book. But over and over, he's reminding them that the church is a family, that that's, that's what this is. We are a family. Um, I love that. Um, the other thing is that the church is diverse. That is beautiful, and that should be celebrated. I, before I got married and before I had kids, um, God gave me the gift of like, being able to do like, a lot of mission trips. Um, I spent six months in Africa, and then I did a lot of other short-term trips. And <clears throat> I am not a crier, but there was something that would get me every time, every trip. And you know what it was? It was corporate worship because I would be standing with people who, um, you know, a 60-year-old African man. You know, when I'm, when I'm standing next to him, and we are singing the same praises to Jesus, him in his language, me and mine, we have nothing in common. He's born and raised in Kenya. Like, there's no, I have nothing in common with him, nothing. But because of Jesus, I have everything in common with him, all of a sudden. And so when, I, when I'm there next to, you know, this group of people, I mean, every time, every time, I'm just like a bawling mess. And I'll tell you, like, I, I've grown in realizing that even though in Stillwater, Oklahoma, um, in the church that I go to, it's, it's not, there's not that many um, differences ethnically, but there are so many differences. I have had people in my life group that I love dearly, that I have looked at, and I have thought, you know what, if, if it were not for Jesus, we would, there's no way we'd be friends because we have nothing in common. But suddenly, we have Jesus in common. We have everything in common. That is amazing. Like, that is truly amazing. Um, Galatians 3, 26 through 28 says this. It says, For in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So I have since become like a once-a-week crier. And the reason is because... <laughs> Don't watch me if you go to my church, because without fail, I stand in that setting, like, praying and swearing allegiance to Jesus and singing these songs. And you know they are prayers, because there's so many times, like, the things that I'm praying, I don't feel in that moment, but oh, how I want to feel them, and oh, how I want to surrender to Jesus. And I look around, 
And I mean, I do it here too. Thankfully, it's dark. You all don't know. But I look around, like, and I see the faces, and, like, I know, you know, like, Chloe. I know what God's doing in her life, and I know, like, and she's standing next to me, and she's, like, singing to Jesus and how much she loves Jesus, and we're surrendering together, and we're here, and this is the church. And, like, I start crying every time. That is, it is just such a beautiful picture of, um, of the body. And so that's how we're going to end tonight. Haley, um, if you want to go ahead and start coming up and whoever else is leading worship. Um, I'm going to let them get up here and I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to worship together. And here's my challenge to you, okay? When we are singing to the Lord, I want you to do that. And I want you to look around this room and I want you to thank God for the people that are in this room who are part of the church um, and what he's doing in their life and what he's doing in your life um, and praise him for the gift that is the church. That's what I want us to do. Let me go ahead and pray, and then we'll get going. God, we just come before you humbly and with a thankful heart that you didn't just save us. Um, You gave us your spirit to sanctify us and to work these things out in us and to make us holy and to make us spotless and to make us blameless. And if that wasn't enough, you gave us community and you gave us the church, gave us um, the bride of your son. God, we are grateful. Um, And for the things that you require of us and for the commitment that you require of us um, to the bride and and to the church, God, I pray that you enable us to live those things out. Um, And where we fail, Father, I pray that we would repent quickly and often. Pray that we would cling to you pray that we would um, live a life in pursuit of you and pursuit of your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.